Hey, what's up? My name is Jason. I'm the pastor of Church in the Wild. Thank you for joining us in the wild, where we have sermons, conversations, interests, all the things that make us who we are. Thanks for jumping on here. You matter. Last week, we uh, were able to look at Psalm 23 for a minute. We're going to jump back into Psalm 23. We're going to be in Psalm 23 for six weeks, actually, as we look at developing, disciplining ourselves to develop habits that are healthy for our soul. Because we believe that when our soul is healthy, the rest of us will be healthy as well. Soul health leads to whole health. Uh, but before we a couple things, like we said, groups are resuming. Uh, there's a couple opportunities for you. There's a general group, which is run by Adam and Colleen. There is a mom's group, a young adults group, and a men's group. There is a women's ministry, which begins April 5th. I'm sorry, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. Uh, so if you'll see my wife or Amanda, uh, we're going to get together. I think they're going to be having a bunch of food and having a good time and then talking and just growing together. And then if you're looking for a way to volunteer, uh, we can always use help with our prayer team. Prayer team is... Um, uh, just an essential part of our church, and it's awesome. It's, it's as much a blessing to pray for people as it is to have people pray for you. And so um, if you're interested in that, that would be awesome. Psalm chapter 23, I'm going to jump into this. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Isn't that part nice? I think it's a beautiful part of this psalm. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, really pretty, really nice, wonderful part. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here we have one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm chapter 23. It's one of the most famous, one of the most beautiful. It's just very poetic, very fun. I love it. And the idea that we're learning through this series is that soul health leads to whole health. Soul health leads to whole health. And we talked last week about reflection and how David looked back at how God was with him in the past and knew that God would be with him in the future and would be with him in the present time. And we talked about this idea that reflection reminds us that the one who walks in with us is greater than anything we are going to walk in to. And I think that this psalm, when you read it, is like one of those psalms that I think everyone kind of connects with. Like, I've never met someone. I know a lot of people, they don't like Christianity, they don't like churches, they don't like it, they don't like a lot of things. But I've never met someone who's like, you know what I don't like? I don't like Psalm 23. I've never met that person yet. Think about it, how, how it goes. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness anoints my head with oil, surely goodness and mercy me, mercy just follow me around everywhere I go. Like that sounds nice, that sounds enjoyable, we all kind of want that. Like we really want mercy and good things to just follow us everywhere we go. But there's a part of the middle, there's a part of the middle that's not quite as fun. 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Like, can we just get back to the green pastures? Can we go back to that part? Like, what do green pastures have to do with the valley of the shadow of death? David just like takes a hard turn right here. Think about this. He says, you prepare a table for me. Man, that sounds nice. I like it. Like, I, uh, my, my favorite restaurant is North Star Cafe in Uptown. It is awesome. It's wonderful. I like it when I go and, and the table is ready when I get there. Right? Like, I, sometimes we'll go and they'll be like, yeah, it's a 45-minute wait. Ah, okay. All right. What else we got? I like it when the table is prepared and ready for me. But I don't know if I really want to go to North Star Cafe with someone who's my enemy. You know what I mean? He says, you prepare a table for me. You're like, yeah, that's great. But it's in the presence of my enemy. I was thinking about this. I don't really even know if I have enemies. Like, I was thinking about this this week. Like, I'm sure I got people who don't like me, some of them publicly, some of them privately. But, man, I don't really have someone like David had who's trying to kill him while he's eating dinner. Like, that's not a good, t- like, if, you, if you're trying to eat food, you don't really want to, like, uh, you know, is this guy going to try to knife me while I eat? What's going on? I'm not vi- inviting that person out to eat. That person's not going to eat with me. This part of this passage, this middle, is very unique to David. This middle section where it's a little bit harder is very specific to him. He says two things that uh, let us know that. First of all, he says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, we often associate, I'm sure we've all seen the Facebook picture, we often associate this little passage with, oh, there's a shepherd and he puts oil on the sheep's head, and that's a part of it. But the, the reason David wrote this is not for that reason. It makes a really good, beautiful picture on a wall, but really what he wrote this for is he's referencing the fact that he was made king of Israel, and that was because God chose him to be the king of Israel. Why? Because when you are made to be a king of Israel, you're anointed with oil by a prophet or a priest. This is very unique to David. David's saying that, hey, I've gone through really hard times, but God, you anointed me for this. You handpicked me to be the king of Israel. Then he says, and you make a table for me. This is another indicator that he's talking, referencing not so much about being a sheep. He's, he's more or less referencing him back to being a king. Why? Because kings do not make their own tables. Kings have tables made for them. But he adds something in that's so fascinating to me. He says, you make a table for me, which we all know happened but in the presence of my enemies. Why is this unique? Well, because if you're the king, you don't eat food made in the presence of your enemies. Why? Because they're going to try to poison you. This is a very specific reference to an exact moment in his life. And David experienced that the, his head being anointed and eating in the presence of his enemies as soon as he was made king. Samuel anointed him with oil, and he did have a table made for him, but the part unique to him is that it was made in the presence of his enemies. So if you don't know this whole story, I'm going to give you like a 30,000-foot view. I highly encourage you to read the whole story. You're going to get a lot more out of it than I can give you in this little moment. But David, the Bible says, is a very young man. The Bible describes him as, as very, very handsome and very young, 
and overlooked by everyone who comes around him as being someone worthy of being a king. Like when they meet him, they're like, oh, that dude is, is a really handsome dude, but he's not going to amount to anything. That's basically how they view him, including his dad and his older brothers. How do we know this? Well, when his head was anointed with oil to be made the king of Israel, his dad actually didn't even bother to bring him into the house because his dad just took for granted that he would never be king. So when Samuel came and said, hey, one of your sons is going to be the king of Israel, he said, okay, all of you line up right over here. David, go out and take care of the sheep. And Samuel was like, hey, there's one more that, that God's picking, and it was David. We also know this because it's such an interesting part of the story, but David goes to a battle. He's going to go and watch. He's going to bring food to his brothers, and there's a battle going on. So he has all of this food, and when he gets there, there's an, this supervillain named Goliath, and Goliath is taunting the children of Israel, and he's taunting God. And David gets mad. David's a younger guy, but he's mad. He's like, hey, if none of you guys will fight him, I'll fight him. What I missed about this story until this week is really interesting to me. Saul doesn't even bother to ask who he is. Saul just is like, uh, you can't do this. And he's like, yeah, I can. And he's like, okay, go for it. So Saul's doing one of two things. He's either just sending him out as an insult to Goliath, or he's just hoping something happens and he doesn't have to deal with it. And we think that probably it was an insult to Goliath because the Bible keeps referencing the fact that he's beautiful as he goes to fight Goliath. So here you have this man of war. He's probably covered in scars. He's got all this armor on and this handsome little boy walks out and is like, here to kick your butt, <laughs> right? Like it's so insulting. It's so de like de derogatory towards Goliath. But if you know the story, David wins. There's a great battle. He wins this battle. He, they chase the children of Israel. It is only then that Saul is like, by the way, who's the kid that killed the giant? They're like, oh, that's David. Like he's such an afterthought. So when Saul finds out who he is, Saul is like, okay, you're coming to my castle and you're going to live like one of my sons and I'm going to help raise you. And if you know the story, his son, Jonathan, becomes best friends with him. And Saul, David becomes this mighty warrior and he's, he's like on the team and then Saul begins to get jealous of him. So he's literally eating in the presence of somebody he doesn't realize is his enemy until one day Saul gets so mad that he throws a spear at him, which is a good sign someone doesn't like you. Okay, like, like full disclosure, if someone doesn't like your post on Facebook, it doesn't mean you're your enemy until they throw a spear at you. Okay, if you got people chucking spears at you, you can claim them as an enemy. So David has to run for his life from then on. And he's running and he's running and he's running and he's hiding. And he is becoming this amazing, wonderful man who's going to become this great and powerful and yet kind king. Why? Because resistance is really good for our soul. Resistance is really good for us. Resistance is not fun. It's not fun to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not fun to eat at a table with people who don't like you. It's not fun and enjoyable, but it's good for us. There is something in our souls that calls for us to need something to have resistance against in order so that we can become all that God wants us to be. 
David would never have become the great king that he was had he never had to flee for his life and fight against giants and run from his own friends. Think about what David does towards the end of his life. He brings the grandson of this man who tried to kill him, and he gives him a table. And the grandson of this King Saul lives with him for free the rest of his days. Where do you think he learned the kindness? He learned it by seeing, I don't want to be that guy who's trying to kill me. I'm going to become a kind person. See, resistance is good for us. In fact, it was only when David stopped facing resistance that he began to fall into sin. If you think about this story of David, he's this great king. He has this powerful army. And the Bible says there's this time when all the kings go to war, but David decides not to. He goes up on his roof and he's going to make like a reel. And he's like, you know, hey, hashtag chill, hashtag I am enough. Like he's doing all this, you know, Instagram up there. And he looks over and there's a woman on the other roof making a TikTok and she's doing a dance. And he's like, what's up, girl? And he should have been at war, but he's not. And what happens? He falls into sin. He falls into immorality. And then he falls into lying and into murder and into covering up murder, all because he got tired of fighting. All because he said, you know what? I'm tired of all this resistance. I just want to hang out on my roof. He probably had like a nice hammock and maybe a big flat screen and someone was bringing him drinks and he was just having a good time. He got tired of the resistance. The other time that he falls into sin is really interesting because David says, hey, I'm going to count everyone in our kingdom. And the prophet's like, you shouldn't do that. And he's like, no, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And he counts everybody. But what's interesting is he's really only counting the soldiers that he has. Because they list the people, but they really only list the people who are going to war. Why is he doing this? Because he doesn't want to have to go fight anymore. And he knows if I have a strong enough army, I'm good. So when resistance enters David's life, he excels. And when he stops resistance, when he says, you know what, I'm going to take it easy, he begins to fall into disarray and into sin. So what you decide to do with the resistance you encounter in your life matters. It matters. Truth is, every one of us is going to face resistance at some point. Can I just, you can switch jobs 150 times and that coworker's still going to be there. They're just going to be there. You can try every dating app, and that guy is going to be on that dating app. You can go to every church, and that angry person is going to be at every church. It doesn't matter where you go. Resistance is going to be encountered somewhere along the way. So you have to decide how you're going to deal with it. So there's a couple ways that you can deal with resistance. Number one, you can resist it. You can resist it. You can resist resistance. And, re and this one sounds the best in our current culture. This one sounds a lot like really clever sayings like, I am enough. You know that's not true. You're not. It sounds cool, but you're not. I'm not enough. I can get that tattooed on myself as many times as I want, and I'm still not enough. Why? Because only Jesus is enough. 
And we will not be enough until we enter into his physical presence. When we have glorified bodies and souls and we are fully sanctified and have gone through the glorification and justification and sanctification process, it is only in the presence of Jesus Christ that we are actually enough. So this idea of, well, you know what, I just, it's just self-love. It could also be apathy if we're completely honest. It also could be just refusing to try to improve as a human being. Well, I just, you know, I think that I am perfect the way I am. Well, you're not. It doesn't matter. You're not. I'm not. I can say that over and over and over. I am not perfect the way I am. I continually need God to cut corners in my life and sharpen me and make me into a better leader. And the more I try to resist that, the less effective as a Christian, husband, father, man, pastor I become. The less that I allow my resistance to do what God wants it to do. Can I tell you that I think about decisions I made before we shut down and and I'm like, that was a terrible choice. I did not, if full, full, full disclosure, I did not enjoy preaching on a video camera in here alone and watching our giving and our attendance and our uh, everything just drop to practically nothing. I did not enjoy that. I also did not enjoy the garage doors being open and it was 110 degrees and we had 23 people in here and we're all just sweating. I didn't enjoy that either. And I didn't enjoy the very difficult, brutal, tough decisions that I had to make along the way, but they made me into a better leader. They made me into a better speaker, communicator, pastor, husband. And so we can attempt to hide from and resist resistance all that we want, but when we begin to resist resistance, we become like David when he's the king, and we begin a backward spiral. And we say, you know, I'm just going to take a me day, a me week, a me month, a me year. We can resist enough resistance because all of the things that we say that go along with it sound good, but they are actually something because we're just enjoying comfort more than our growth. So number two, we can resent it. We can resent resistance. We can, instead of, of allowing it to do what God wants us to do with it, we can just begin to be the people who, you ever met them where they just complain about how bad their life is all the time? And you kind of begin to be like, I wish I hadn't asked how you're doing today. You ever met that person? Hey, how you doing? Terrible. Why? I only got six dogs, not seven. What? What are you talking about? Had to take the dogs out. Well, yeah, you adopted six of them. You're going to have to take them out. How are you doing today? Oh, not good. You don't know. You know, there's a song like nobody knows the trouble I see. I feel like that's a lot of Christians. And the, the lost world is like, why on earth would I ever want to be a Christian if you guys have it so bad? <laughs> like, like, I mean, honestly, like, why would I want to be a Christian if all that we hear is just whining and complaining from the Christians? You can either resist it or resent it, or you can recognize the opportunity that the resistance provides. You can recognize the opportunity that the resistance provides. 
In Psalm 119, verse 71, David says, it is good for me to have been afflicted. He says, it's good for me. Why? Because resistance leads to growth. Resistance leads to growth. Now, I'm not the strongest guy in this building, but I understand the concept that the muscles that are the strongest are the ones that face the most resistance. And the more we put resistance onto certain muscles, the more they grow. Yesterday, I decided to try something. Um, how many of you would know what I'm talking about when I say P90X? Anybody say P90X? Okay, okay. All right, good, good. There's something in P90X called Ab Ripper X. And a long time ago in a land far, far away before we had Isla, I was pretty good at Ab Ripper X. I could do it twice in a row. So yesterday I was like, yeah, I'm going to try it out. We were at the house. It was a rest day. I put it on the TV. I got halfway through it and was like, oh, Lord, come quickly. I'm going to die right now. I can't move. Why? Because clearly my abs have not faced resistance in a long time. I have given them all the junk food that they want. Whatever we give resistance to eventually grows. James said in James chapter 1, verse 24, that we should count it joy when we struggle because joy leads to completeness. And when Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, says that, so, that, that this teaches us to be faithful, steadfast, and to have hope. He also then in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10, says that resistance taught him how to trust in God. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, he saw that resistance got him to see God's strength because when he was too weak to fight it, God's strength showed up. And Joseph said in Genesis 50, verse 20, that the resistance he faced prepared him for even greater struggles that were to come. See, resistance leads to growth. Satan attempts to bring resistance to destroy us, but God uses the, them to improve us and to demonstrate his own power over them. It is only resistance that causes a seed to turn into a mighty tree. See, a seed falls into the ground and it dies and the ground is pushing on it. And as it struggles and it fights to get up through the ground, it gets stronger. And when it gets up through the ground, it's surrounded by leaves, it's surrounded by other trees, it's surrounded by things that want to kill it, and as it begins to grow, it has to fight every day for its own survival, only to, when it gets big enough for the wind to start to fight it, the trees that can resist the resistance well enough and grow through it become mighty trees. A lot of us wonder why we're still seeds. We wonder why we haven't grown to what God intends for us to be. And the reason why is because every time any resistance comes our way, we're like, swerve. It is resistance that makes us strong. Cars that are the fastest go through something called resistance training. They literally take a jet engine and they, they put it and they blow it on these supercars and they, they track the air that goes over and around these cars and they look to see where the car needs some flaw fixed. And as they begin to fix the flaws in the car through the resistance training, the car begins to improve. And the fastest cars have faced the most resistance. One of the worst things that we can do for our own souls is to resist or to resent resistance in our life. See, comfort is great, but comfort can kill. 
Comfort is great. I'm not against it. It's fun. I like living in a comfortable house and having a comfortable car, but comfort can kill. So how do we then discipline ourselves for resistance? And we have to, because if we don't, when the real struggles, when suffering comes our way, we're not able to handle it if we haven't disciplined ourselves now. So last week, I encouraged you to take this notebook that we gave at home. I hope you did it. And write for 10 minutes every day on just how good your life is and how many blessings God has given you. And write your salvation story and just talk about how good. Why? Because reflection is good for us. And this week, I'm encouraging you to do something else. And it's not as much fun. It's why I'm preaching this one second and not first, because no one would come back to the rest of the series. I'm going to encourage you to spend 10 minutes a day disciplining yourself to resistance. I don't really care how you do it, but if you never walk, spend 10 minutes walking outside. If you do walk outside, spend 10 minutes running outside. If you do spend 10 minutes running outside, spend 10 minutes sprinting outside. Do something for 10 minutes that you don't enjoy. And at this point, all the super spiritual people in the room are like, bodily exercise profits little. I get it, but it does profit a little. The Bible does say a little. What does it do? It trains us. It disciplines us. It prepares us on how better to handle resistance. Can I tell you one of the only ways that I was able to get through the health problems I had last year was because I had done enough CrossFit where Jesse was about to murder me if I stopped. And I felt like I was going to die if I tried to keep up with him. But I learned that I can do more than I thought I could do through working out. And when the doctors told me, well, you'll never walk again, I walked out of the hospital. Why? Because resistance leads to growth. Resistance leads to growth, and it brings results. So if you say, well, physically, I can't do that. Okay. All right. You can't walk for 10 minutes. So cut 10 things out of your diet each week, all week. Take this whole week and say 10 things I'm not eating then. Ultimately, ultimately, if we want to learn how to, how to fight resistance, we should resist the sin that so easily besets us. You really want to challenge yourself, resist the urge to criticize your spouse. Really want to challenge yourself, resist the urge to lie about the email that you never received but said you did. Really want to challenge yourself, resist the urge to look at the girl that walks by that you know you shouldn't look at. Really want to challenge yourself, resist the urge to steal something. Really want to challenge yourself, resist the, the urge to cut down people with your words. Think the thoughts that you know you shouldn't assume, uh, think or assume the worst about someone in every situation. Well, I know what they meant. You don't. So resist that. Fight against it. Worship team, you guys can come up here. We're, we're going to finish out with a song. Your soul will be healthy and you will grow because of resistance. But we got to learn to stop resisting it. Instead, we got to recognize the opportunity. Man, a little while ago, I was in a meeting with some of our elders with one of our elders and he said to me hey you know I know this is hard for you right now what you're going through but think of how much better of a leader you're going to be because this is going on right now you know what he's saying resistance leads to growth you're going to learn how to be a better leader because you have to walk through this valley right now that you don't want to walk through what is it in your life that's causing you discomfort and you're just trying to say I don't want to deal with it What is it in your life that's causing you discomfort and your entire plan of attack is just to complain to someone about it? 
What if the thing you were trying to resist was teaching you how to be what God wanted you to be? What if the very thing that you were trying to dodge was the opportunity God was giving you to learn how to be a better man, a better woman, a better Christian, a better child, a better dad, a better believer and follower of Jesus Christ? Resistance leads to growth and it helps our souls. There's something in our souls that is better when we have a struggle to teach us how to get better. Someday, you and I will stand in the presence of God and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. Welcome into the joy of the Lord. And at that moment, you will be made enough. But until then, we all got a long way to go, myself especially. We've all got challenges, struggles, battles we got to fight. And those battles can lead to really good opportunities if we're willing to look and to learn and say, man, how could I have improved from this situation? What could I do to get better? Let's all stand to our feet. I'm going to encourage you to, this week to make a decision. The decision is simple, to spend 10 minutes disciplining yourself against the resistance. Ride a bike for 10 minutes, go for a walk for 10 minutes, put 10 things aside. Maybe, hey, here's a good one. Here's a really good one. Put this thing down for 10 minutes. Try it. You'll see what a challenge it is to put a phone away for 10 minutes. I, I put my phone away and all of a sudden I think I have my phone going off and it's just, just habit. Resist it. Discipline yourself. Why? Because if you discipline yourself now in the small things, when the real hard struggles come, you're better prepared to handle them. You're better prepared to fight. You're better prepared to grow and to be all that God wants you to be. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to close with a song. Whatever it is in your life, don't, don't resist resistance. Don't resent it. Recognize the opportunity that it provides for you to grow and to be all that he's calling you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are gracious, kind, loving, just, you're holy, you're righteous. Thank you, Lord, for Psalm 23. Thank you that we can learn that resistance is good for our soul. Thank you, Lord, that even though we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you walk with us. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes we do have to eat in the presence of our enemies, but you set the table and you made it. And so we can have confidence because you go to war with us everywhere we go. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing, we're going to sing.